0: Hello everyone. Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It <clears throat> and because we're both anxiety ridden and type A personalities, we've been prepping for two months, yeah, for some It's been like about that? two months, um, but we're finally here and we're trying to <laughs> be natural, and it's been really hard. Um, but anyway, um, so Maiden's Psych is going to be a podcast primarily about psychology and true crime and those intersections but we're also kind of just going to talk about whatever we want to. Yeah and we plan on bringing guests going forward when we become more comfortable with the series to talk about certain subjects but for the most part it'll be psychologically related. And of course because we can't keep our mouth shut uh, politics is probably going to come up pretty often, and we're just kind of going to leave it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Opinions will be shared. Just forewarning if that's not your thing, um, we discourage you from continuing to listen. Or, I guess, if you feel that you would get offended by views that we feel strongly about. <sighs> or if loud noises scare you, because we might start yelling. And I laugh directly into the microphone. So. <laughs> There's that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, so this first season, uh, we're going to stay true to the title, and it's going to be mostly psychological. (laughs) It's going to be uh, mostly centered around psychology. So our first season is called... Cognitive Calamities. Ha, ha, ha. Created by yours truly, (laughs) thanks to Thesaurus.com. Oh, speaking of yours truly... Good luck keeping up with this one. Um, so, this voice is Taylor Fisher, and this voice is Taylor Davis. But you know, we might mesh too. So <laughs> we're really uncomfortable with sharing the first name. And to be completely honest, like just saying what we did like made me like get goosebumps. Like I, we can't be Taylor at the same time. We can't go to Starbucks together. It's terrible anywhere. Like anywhere, we have to give our name. Like I just laugh, like a stupid six-year-old. And I'm usually the second Taylor that goes, <laughs> so I look like the impersonator. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think our voices are pretty easy to distinguish. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's like a little bit of this on the website, mm-hmm. majordinsight.com, dot com, but Taylor and I have been. Friends since ninth grade, so I was 14 and we were 13, probably, I think. Yeah, and we're now 23. That's absolutely disgusting. So, we've been friends for like nine or ten years since biology, freshman year. And I actually found a worksheet that I wrote in that class. (coughs) What? Yeah, with my ugly handwriting. It was something about spores and growing, but it was bio. Cardiacondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> I hated that class. And Mr. Mason hated us, like a lot, like our whole table. Because we were just loud, and I had no next to no interest yeah. in science. Was it Jenna Raven who was like the one that pretended they were really bad at it but always got good grades? I believe it was Jen. I feel like it was both of them. (sighs) In comparison to the work we did. (laughs) Like, stop trying to insert yourself into actual stupid culture. (laughs) We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Stupid culture. (laughs) I'm only stupid in Mr. Mason's classes. (laughs) Like, all throughout high school, I was fine. And then I get to AP physics senior year. Oh my god. And they're like, oh, if you don't get this grade up, you're not going to (laughs) graduate. That's why I didn't even take AP. I couldn't. I absolutely (laughs) couldn't. But so, yeah. We... Went to the same high school, ended up at the same college. We were roommates for three out of four of those years. Might as well have been all four years because you hated your freshman year. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and throughout the season and the rest of the show, we're going to have our other friends on here. Um, some of our friends are interested in true crime. Um, some of them are not quite as much as us. Um, so we're going to get them on here and insert them into our conspiracy theories (laughs) everyone has at least one even if it's slightly related to true crime at least one subject that they're very passionate about so on like a spectrum of true crime the psychology she focuses more on like the psychology of movies she likes to dissect them which is I feel like nowadays psychology and layers within cinematic arts is very important Jordan Peele Looking at you. Oh my god. The kind of movies where you have to watch it seven times. So, yeah. So, yeah. go first. Okay, I'll go first. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I was about to say, I feel like mine's like. Mine is a downer. And I know yours is a downer too. Mine's not even. Mine's just infuriating. The more I read about this, I feel like. Sorry about the wrestling. No, when I first saw the label. I had, like, this preconceived idea of what it was going to be about, and then I started reading into it. And there's a lot of, like, context and background I'm going to get into that explains the actual topic itself. So I felt a lot of feelings. Oh, also, before um, we continue, this particular episode, we know what each other's topic is. Um, Going forward, we're going to try and keep it a surprise, but at the very least, if we need to check to see Like make sure we're not doing the same case. At the very least, we're not going to research each other's topic just to keep reactions fresh. Yeah, ultimately we want this to be a conversation. Like we're educating each other. Yeah. And yeah, it'll be great. It's just hilarious because I'm actually a psych major and and I have not majored in psych. (laughs) But I don't remember anything because I slept my way through college. So I feel like and if I had learned stuff like this, I would have taken more college classes. Also if I had more money. But yeah. you know. Well yeah, I like I squeezed my entire psychology degree into three semesters. Right. Okay. So for my very first topic, for the very first episode, I did the monster study, which was an experiment orchestrated by Dr. Wendell Johnson of the University of Iowa. But and I did not know this, Wendell Johnson is Usually the name attributed to the monster study, but it was actually his doctoral student, Mary Tudor, that orchestrated the event and directly interacted with the kids. And Mary Tudor could be a familiar name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was like one of the crazy English people in the past that like... Yeah, because I know that. Maybe like married married. to like King Henry VIII or something. Something. Yeah. So it's really ironic because... Guess what? She's not any better of a person in this context either. Oh, so I should not root for the woman in this case. Absolutely not. Okay, cool. No. So, just to give you a brief background of what the Monster Study is, for five consecutive months, Mary Tudor would subject a total of 22 orphans to what would later be considered a very ethical, unethical, (laughs) it is not ethical, (laughs) and controversial experiment, but Dr. Wendell oversaw it. From start to finish. I hesitate to say start to finish because the way this study ended and its legacy differs. But he essentially brought it to light, recruited Tudor, and then, all right. Mm. So just to give you some background. Great start. Dr. Wendell Johnson was born in 1906 in Roxbury, Kansas. When he was about five or six years old. His teacher happened to make a comment to his parents about his tendency to stutter. Mm. And according to a pediatrician named Roger Knapp, who has an amazing website where I got a lot of statistics about childhood stuttering, 75% of the time a child stutter is usually detected between ages 2 and 7. So this wasn't abnormal, is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Like a doctor saying, your kid stutters. It's... Right. And he, w- he spoke fine before then, but he's going right. through this transitional period. He's stuttering. Like, I don't think the doctor meant to say it maliciously. So, of course, given the time period, we're talking early 1900s, his uh. parents underwent a lot of, like, weird remedies to help their kid, including, like, a chiropractor. What? And, like, a faith healer. Of course. Consuming sugar pills? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I feel like I could have gone way deeper into that rabbit hole, but apparently those were some of the things that helped you with the speech impediment at the time. My case has a little bit of, like, archaic stuff in it. I just... And I get it's, like, all context and, like, cultural context related, but, like, what the fuck is a chiropractor gonna do for your That was my fear, because, like, that comes from the throat. So Uh was he, like, Okay, He's snapping his neck. Ooh. Ooh, sorry. I can't wait to hear how that sounds. <laughs> so obviously none of those remedies worked. And I contribute that to the fact that Wendell Johnson basically grew up becoming hyper aware of his stuttering. So being exposed to that myriad of different fake remedies. And the fact that his parents were so like attentive to the, the way he talked, he became very obsessive with the way he talked too. Um, he was very perceptive of his hesitance in uttering words, so he usually stayed quiet. Oh. Which, thinking of a child just in general, that's really sad. Yeah. Maybe not this guy, anymore. right? <laughs> yeah, I have to sympathize with him. So he basically created this theory in his mind that stuttering was a learned behavior, like based on his environment. And what he went through, he thought, my parents put this into my mind that I have this stutter. And now it's, like, worsening. So I must be able to unlearn it? Uh, Yeah. He basically thought stuttering was a learned behavior. uh Uh-huh. So, um, I don't know. I didn't really get into, I'm about to do a huge time skip to when he attends university. But I couldn't find anything that said that like his speech impairment like really debilitated him. Aside from him like not wanting to talk, he had like a great sense of humor right. and he excelled in academics. I mean the only thing I can think of is like if toxic masculinity is bad now, I can't imagine what it was like back then, so I can I can see him like probably getting like bullied maybe. Yeah. But
1: yeah, it didn't
0: seem like anything—he still, like, lived his life. Right. Which is—well, yeah, because all of it's just not to, like, dismiss it, but it's a speech impediment. Right. And it—it's so contradictory because, like—I mean, I'm glad that he was successful as a kid, but under the surface, he was just obsessing over it huh. in his head. So he went to attend the University of Iowa, and he was originally an English major, but then he decided to delve into the field of psychology. In 1929, he received a master's in psychology, and in 1931, he got a PhD in psychology and Jesus. physiology. Yeah, so he was rich He boy. was ballin'. <laughs> <laughs> as, as ballin' as one can be in Iowa. No offense to people who live in <laughs> no, Iowa. Like, I think Iowa State or University of Iowa, whatever one, is like one of the biggest party schools because what the fuck else do you do in Iowa? Corn. <laughs> I'm so... I love... God any Midwestern them. viewers that come here, I love you. Except Ohio, what you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> <I> <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> Fix it! Um. So, I another source quotes him as saying, I became a sleep pathologist because I needed one. Yeah. So, like, he basically, again, took, like, childhood traumas, and he's like, how can I expand on the world of speech pathology because at the time speech pathology wasn't really mm-hmm. an official field yeah so to be fair i'm sorry i keep cutting you off but no it's but fine. to be fair most psych majors i know including myself like go into psychology for selfish reasons like most people go into psychology because they want to put a label to whatever they have like the problem they have in their family and like Stuff like that. But I feel like eventually, if your intentions are good, it turns into wanting to help other people. Mm -hmm. Or, like, at least, like, changing issues, not necessarily, like, some self-righteous... Yeah. No, and that makes sense. Like, I feel like everyone picks their major because it's, like, a personal interest that they have. And then ultimately, we're like, how can I contribute this to the world? Yeah, I... This is so much context and background and I could have I could go on about this guy mm-hmm. for like five pages, <laughs> but like I'm hoping that my transition is coherent enough. So um, the nice thing was apparently at University of Iowa he had a lot of colleagues that also had speech impediments, yeah. so kind of, they kind mm-hmm. of flocked together. But they used each other as hubs for experiments, so they all like made little experiments on each other, oh, trying to figure out the origin of stuttering. Well, at least we did it on each other and not, like, unwilling participants. Exactly. Yes. Um, he was just very... It was double <laughs> you said I you. didn't do I that. picked up the wrong copy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I digress really quick. This is important. <laughs> I'm reading off my script. And I was bragging to Taylor about how when I printed my script, it was not going to be double-sided so you guys wouldn't hear like the the flip-flap in a paper. And I just turned over my paper, and there were more words on the back, which means it's double-sided. I digress. I'm not happy. I hope that you don't hear it. Us getting to this point is so fucking representative of ourselves and our friendship. It's stupid. (laughs) I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I can't wait till I cry in front of a microphone. It is stifling in this. Thing. Just so everyone knows, we're in a cinder block. <laughs> like four by eight room. They put right us in Alcatraz, y'all! <laughs> like we're in we're in a solitary fucking cell. It's absolutely right now. like a four by eight. Like you can barely fit a bed in here. This table would probably be your bed. This is like barely a day bed. <laughs> but it's whatever. It's fine. So Let's switch nerds, switch nerve switch gears. <laughs> Mary Tudor was recruited by Johnson in 1938. She looked to the Iowa Soldiers and Sailors Orphans Home to choose test subjects. Because of apparently your go-to for experiments is orphans. Even worse. Basically, this experiment was doomed from the start because she told the kids that they were going to be receiving speech therapy. So seriously. Nothing about the actual content. (laughs) That was a whisper from the walls. (laughs) Nothing about the actual content was given to these kids. They couldn't consent. I'm not sure. I don't think consent was even a thing at the time. So, six graduate students in total, Mary included, proceeded to grade these 22 kids on a scale of one to five based on their ability to speak, with one being the lowest. So, okay. You're going to have to bear with me, and I'll probably put a photo of this on the website because I had to draw it out so I understood. You have 22 kids in total. Ten of them had stutters, officially. They were marked by their teachers saying that they had a speech impediment. The other 12 did not have a speech impediment. This is very important. I do not like for this. <laughs> so you have four groups. You have IA, IB. You know, I don't know if it's I or one. (laughs) One A, one B, two A, two B. In group one A, that was the stuttering group. They received positive feedback, but not in the way you would think. It was more like you, you speak fine. Like you don't have a speech impediment. Like that was the positivity. So they were just told that the way they speak is fine. It wasn't like we acknowledge you have a stutter and you speak okay. It was just, oh, you're fine. You're good. You don't need to change anything. Group one, Those, wait, the ones that did definitely yeah. have a speech impediment were told, told they were fine. In 1A, yeah. Okay. <laughs> In group 1B, again, these are just the 10 that actually stuttered. Uh-huh. The other five were given negative feedback about their stuttering, and they were told that they needed to change it immediately, basically. They were told there's something wrong with the way you speak, and you need to fix it. Hi Okay. Group <clears throat> 2A... They, the source I used referred to them as fluent speakers, so I'm just going to use that terminology to differentiate. Fluent speakers without a stutter received negative feedback. They were told, you have a stutter, you need to fix it. I'm sorry. So that leaves group 2B fluent speakers who were given positive feedback. So they're the only ones that turn out okay from all of this. So, oh, oh, I'm <laughs> So yeah, you got your four groups, 1A and 2B were both given positive feedback, 1B and 2A were both given negative feedback, and you have two groups of stuttering kids, two groups of fluent kids. Um, An amazing quote by my girl Mary (laughs) Tudor: This is what they would usually tell these poor kids who either did or didn't have a stutter. The staff has come to the conclusion that you have a great deal of trouble with your speech. You have many of the symptoms of a child who is beginning to stutter. You must try to stop yourself immediately. Use your willpower. Do anything to keep from stuttering. Don't ever speak unless you can do it right. You see how, insert person here, stutters? Well, he has undoubtedly started this very same way, end quote. Uh, Explain. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... Taylor looks like a meme. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's all I could say. (laughs) That's that's my whole face all the time. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. They're treating stuttering like it's the worst possible thing. That was my biggest thing is that, like, you can't live. Like, it's a deviant. You can't go forward in your life unless you fix your stuttering. I don't. And again, this was given to five kids who did actually stutter and Six kids who spoke fine were given that quote. So, uh, okay. Oh. Yeah. So basically, like she scarred these kids for life yeah. by telling them, like, if you don't fix this stutter, that's it. It's like gaslighting them. Almost. Yeah. Second grade is the cutoff for you, or how, <laughs> however old they were. So, um, there were a couple of tests that they did. One of them, they believed that stuttering could have been um, caused by a cerebral imbalance. So when Tutor and the other graduate students were like taking note of the kids, they also took note of their dominant hands and they had them write on a chalkboard while trying to like squeeze a light bulb. I guess giving their hands like two separate tasks to do to see if that improved or debilitated their speaking, obviously that didn't do anything. Those who were originally non-stutterers, Began to exhibit the behavior of stutters. Go figure. Oh. They feared an attempt to talk, and they would compensate with like frantic hand movements, and they would like try to snap to try to like time the way they talked because they were so worried about every word that came out of their mouth. These are children. Yeah, it was terrible. And again, I could go into so much detail about the behaviors that these children exhibited, but I feel like that pretty much sums it up. The kids like would withdraw from their peers. Their schoolwork decline. One kid even ran away, supposedly. Like so permanently? I do not know. I will not label that as fact nor fiction. Because I do not have that. So, essentially, these wild tasks combined with the constant verbal reinforcement of either you need to speak a certain way or you're doing great affected these children greatly. Mm-hmm. So I have my results. Well, I have her results. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the six fluent children who were falsely labeled stutterers, two of them actually improved their speech fluency over the course of the five-month experiment. So I guess two of them didn't take it to heart. They actually... But that's less than a 20% success rate. Yeah. Like, that's that's fucking nothing. Pointless. Yeah. The actual stutterers who were told that they spoke fine, two of them showed signs of slight improvement. Two of them decreased in fluency, and one stayed the same. So yeah, basically these results do not compensate for All what they went was, like, through. You did flip the people, like, yeah. you, you came out with the same... There was no, I like, mean... real results. So when Mary Tudor submitted her thesis in August of 1939, Wendell Johnson didn't oversee the publication. He didn't include it in his indexes. He He basically wanted nothing to do with it. And I don't recall reading why, but I feel like it's obvious that he realized to some extent that this study was unethical Uh and he didn't want his name attached to it. So basically all that we have written about the monster study is from Mary Tudor, because even though Wendell Johnson recruited her, he kind of distanced himself. Bro, you have to take her responsibility. Exactly. Own up to it. Considering that's basically what he's known for. Yeah. Um, but it's okay, because the study really didn't gain notoriety until <laughs> 2001, when lawsuits pop- lawsuits popped up from some of the kids. 2001? Yeah. The reason Ugh. it got its name, the monster study, was because other scientists caught wind of it and basically said, like, someone who would do this to children is a monster. Like, it wasn't officially named that until it got its... Right. I'm assuming unwarranted she's, pain. like, she was dead by that. I'm point. pretty sure, yeah. Um. Yeah, so three of the surviving orphans are suing the University of Iowa for emotional distress and misrepresentation because they are still experiencing repercussions from that study to this day. It's traumatizing. Like, some of them are still afraid to speak. Some of them are hyper-aware of their speech. That, that's so ironic. Because the whole reason he went into this is because he was so hyper-aware of how he talked. And then he just instilled it. And and he, I'm saying he. You know, he, he doesn't want really to be associated mm-hmm. with it. It was his fucking thing. So he just inserted his own insecurity into a bunch of other kids. Yeah. And cool. Wendell ended up dying in 1965. But as far as I know, his reputation isn't smeared. They said that his experimentation paved the way for what what was otherwise a still-budding field of science. Tudor's observations offered insight into how a sutter may think, their behavioral patterns. So basically, people gave Tudor props <laughs> for, like, what she had recorded. But all in all, the experiment in yeah. itself was still wrong. That's such and a... B- yeah, that's like such a big thing in psychology period because i think like there wasn't really even an ethics notebook until after the stanford prison experiment in the 70s mm. and because because that experiment was so bad so it's like it's it's kind of like you know when people say like separate the art from the artist yeah kind of thing it's almost like that because it's like these experiments were like horrible and ethical and traumatized people but we got these results. We still kind of learned something. hmm And, like, and now, like, there's always... It's like a catch-22, because in order to have a completely ethical experiment, you're not necessarily going to get... You're always going to have biased results. There's nothing you can do about it, because, because it's ethical. Everyone they, in the experiment has, you know, given their informed consent, and they know they're being observed. Which is a whole other thing. Which was a whole other experiment, I mean. And, and that like skews the results. Yeah. And so there's mm-hmm. no like but that's the price you have to pay to pay I yeah. mean to treat people. Yeah. Right. But right. yeah. No, that's that's essentially it. I mean my last little blurb is that the University of Iowa's Department of Speech Pathology and Audiology is now named the Wendell Johnson Speech and Hearing Center. So my boy got a whole building (laughs) (laughs) I will admit though um I did not look too much into the um accomplishments that Wendell Johnson did before and after this Mm -hmm. because I wanted mine to specifically be about the monster study itself yeah so that being said I will give him props because I know he he was like an intelligent guy and I know that he published a lot of like academic papers and research that help speech pathologists in the long run it's just this is why in the beginning i was like he you can't really say he oversaw it from start to finish because somewhere closer to the finish line he dipped out and he's like i want nothing to do with this but if you saw something (laughs) unethical was happening why didn't you yeah stop it especially uh, and i don't know i I regret not looking more into like Mary Tudor herself because I'm not. I didn't really read anything about how she felt afterwards. I know there were parts that said she would go after the experiment ended. She went back to like check on the kids, but like, oh my, how much can you really do? at I mean, that you point? always do like a follow up. Yeah, okay. but that's, yeah. A little dark. It's very dark. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use orphans. I feel like. Any situation where orphans are involved, it's just terrible. It's just that—that's another thing. Like before there was any kind of ethics code, people would use, and that's—that's kind of in mind too. People would use like vulnerable demographics, yeah, because you uh, don't—they don't care if you consent to it, like, and they don't know any better. And it's not like a population that I guess would be greatly missed as much as I hate to say that. So wow, I did it. Even though my paper was double sided, (laughs) so just like getting here, okay, getting here. I've had a rough weekend. Okay, so originally, so right now we're recording in, like we said, a fucking solitary confinement-looking cell in our old college's library. So it's already bad enough that we're like back at our old college because like everyone here just like makes us feel really old. Yeah. But this is also, like, the most convenient place that has, like, stowaway. And also, we still owe money to this college. So they're going to see us. (laughs) We're going to use this library. We were going to use my basement at my house. So I bought a door and I bought soundproofing panels because I wanted to be as professional as possible. And I get the soundproofing panels and they're too big for my ceiling and I have to cut them up and insert them into my ceiling, and get dust in my eyes, and there's fence in the way, and then I get the door, cut some of the noise. I don't even think I told you this yet. (laughs) So I got this door right, and I knew it was going to be too tall, but I was like, we have a saw, we can cut it. But when I ordered it, the dimensions were three inches wide and 80 inches tall, and our door is like 77 and three quarters or something like that. So I was like, okay, we'll cut three inches off, and it'll be fine. There was something in her eyes in that moment. (laughs) Glint of pain. We get the door. And it's 28 inches wide. So it's not wide enough to fit the door. And then my obnoxious neighbor comes over and insists on helping. And I hate when people help me. Like, I'm very much one of those people. Unless you ask, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm very much one of those people that's like, just let me do it. Mm -hmm. Because if I mess up, that's on me. So she comes over and She's h- holding the door up first so we can screw it in, and she's like, it's still too tall. So we cut more off, and we bring it in. And she holds it at a different angle, and now there's a five-inch fucking gap at the top of the door, and it's still the two-inch the, front of the door. So there's just this door. Like this Dr. Seuss, Seuss looking. It doesn't fit in the door frame. So I have this ugly ass beat up fucking door that, that does nothing for me. And I can't take it back because we sold it up. Mm-hmm. So I wasted $90. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. All right. I you you come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We should probably also mention that there is a tiny window. And um, someone's staring. Yeah, that guy definitely gave us a look. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) Uh, So like I said, mine is kind of a downer, but I try to end it on like a little bit of a happier note. I (laughs) I was like, this is sad. Just so we don't like end the episode. Super depressing. So I chose for my first topic, electroshock therapy. My, My, the extent, (laughs) electroshock therapy that I know is American Horror Story Asylum and that was the most traumatic thing watching them like foam from the mouth because I don't know what it's like to be electrocuted I hope I never find out well yeah like I I talk about that like I guess I could just say it now but like every modern interpretation of electroshock therapy is torture Mm and mental asylum yeah like that's all we see Um, and there is more to it than that but it's I don't I don't really have a solid opinion on it now, but at least its origins are still pretty like dark and ridiculous. Um anyway, its official name in the psychiatric community is electroconvulsive therapy. Convulsions. Um, yeah. Ugh. So pretty much through the rest of this I'm gonna be calling it ECT because it's less of a mouthful, but ECT is electroconvulsive therapy um and like anything else in psychology or medical experimentation it's pretty controversial in its own field um so like just recently over the past like decade or so I read somewhere went through a like I'm gonna call it a PR like a PR overhaul basically so trying to like remove the stigma from ECT and be like, oh, it actually has genuine psychiatric effects. Mm -hmm. Like, um, good effects at that. Um, so it started in the 1930s, which we all know was a great time. Hey, so did that. So this, this part was crazy to me. So ECT kind of came up and... Other forms of this kind of therapy that I'll talk about in a minute, because psychiatrists and psychologists, I guess any kind of medical professional back then, didn't think that schizophrenia and epilepsy or seizures could exist at the same time. So the logic was, like, there could be no uh, comorbidity between them. So, yeah. like, the idea was if we induce seizures, it'll help dilute the schizophrenia and cure someone of the schizophrenia. That was the logic. I don't like that. Uh-uh. Um, mm. So, the, I guess, leader of this, um, who's accredited with, with the creation of it, was an Italian neurologist named Hugo Servetti. Um, and the reason he got the idea is because he was at his butcher, like, shopping, I guess, to, like, it is meat or whatever. And he saw the butcher, gave the pig, like, an electric shock to subdue it and preparing it for butcher. Yeah. And I guess it. Um, the butcher told him that it has, like, an anesthetic effect. So Sarletti got the idea that, oh, maybe it'll have, like, the same effect on humans. So his intentions weren't necessarily I'm out to hurt them. Yeah, they weren't necessarily like what's the, the word malicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't necessarily malicious. Um with the context we have now, it's still kinda like dumb. <laughs> and you're probably gonna like answer this in a little bit, but like it doesn't create an when I think anesthesia, I think of like numb, uh-huh. like you can't feel anything. Uh-huh. You can't tell me that poor pig, yeah, like was soothingly put yeah. to sleep. If anything, it makes them just focus on the shock and not the fact that you're putting a fucking lever to. <laughs> so, like one pain over the other. Okay, right. yes, fine. Um, so I touched on this I think for a second, but ECT wasn't the first form of induced convulsions. Um, before the 1930s, I think. Um, kind of started in like the mid to late 1800s. They were using insulin to induce convulsions, which you can like you can kind of like quote unquote overdose insulin and cause seizures. And there's another drug, another drug called metrazole I don't really know what that is, but it was just it was just another drug that could induce seizures basically, and. Surprise, surprise, ECT was somehow safer than both of those options. So, basically the scientists thought that convulsions do have, you know, some benefit and validity in helping people, but they wanted something safer, and ECT was that thing at the time. Um, Also, not surprisingly, uh, this occurred mostly in North America, namely the United States, and Europe. Always good old USA. I wonder what could be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, the way ECT works is pretty simple. Um, and I'll have a picture. Uh, we're, all, we're both going to have like supporting images um, once the episode airs. They're going to go up on the Instagram. Um, I have a picture of the original, or one of the original ECT machines um, from Italy. And essentially the way it works is they put... Two electrodes on your forehead, they call them paddles, and then they, from the machine, they apply a brief but powerful shock. So it might only last for, like, a split second, but it's, like, intense. A jolt. Yeah. Like, anxiety. So, clearly some people described it as aggressive because he was, like, like you've seen, they have to have the mouth guards, they strapped down, um, in some cases... Um, if they didn't have straps, like orderlies would hold them down. They would like literally lay across their bodies. And the reason they had to do this is because if they weren't, if they weren't secured in any kind of way, a lot of people would like walk away with broken bones. Well, not walk away. Can't walk away. <laughs> they would break their bones. Yeah, and like muscle spasms and oh, stuff. I mean, people would like, bite their tongues off, right? right? That's what the mouth guard is for. I can't imagine. And the thing is, there is like some forms of there's like little electrodes for like to induce muscle spasms like if you have like pain the intensity in which the electricity comes is just like this was just so much worse yeah might as well take like an electrical cord and like stick to your head lord so one of the biggest effects they started noticing a little too late was short-term memory loss and this brought up issues of informed consent because Which they didn't have back then. Because if you're losing your memory of the treatment as soon as the treatment's over, that means when it comes to the next treatment, you don't have all the information. That's true. You don't remember how painful it was. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. So it's like you're just going into it new all over again. So all of these people are telling you, like, oh, this will help you. And you're like, oh, sure. And then you go in there and, like, I'm sure it triggers your memory. And you're like, you know, oh, my. Um, so like we talked about like how you brought up how you associated it. <laughs> I said uh mostly associated with mental assignment assignments asylums in today's culture with the biggest pop pop culture reference as American Horror Story um but asylums themselves have like really complicated and troubled histories like there's not very many open now, which is a good and a bad thing. Like, mental hospitals probably should have just been better funded. Yeah, and you know, actually helpful for people. But historically, they were really bad and like torture chambers. <laughs> they were, yeah, they were really frequent back then. They yeah. popped up like McDonald's. Yeah, like I those in, like sanatoriums. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was doing my research, research. Um, a lot of, like, I guess, like, historians or, like, researchers or something, they, they said that, you know, back in the day when asylums were really popular, like, the people that were in asylums were seen as, you know, like, subhuman, and they were sort of just sent away to, like, not stay in society. Like, they were sort of just sent away to get out of everyone's sight, and they didn't want to see it. And, Which like, they had, like, them. no real intention of helping them. Right. right. Because, I mean, even now, like, I'm not necessarily depends on like where you are, but like you don't need a lot of training to like help mentally ill people. So like there would be and back then you probably needed next to none. So like there would be people in there, orderlies who have no experience in treating patients. And doing it humanely. Right. You have to have patience. I know that. <sighs> patience for the patients. But I mean like what are the odds that the people the people working in the hospitals have some Magical different view from the rest of yeah. society. So, the people that were working there probably also saw them as subhuman and stands on in society. So, there was just like you know, abundant discrimination and um, shocker. Women were <laughs> shocker <often animated>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> oh, oh my god, this was <laughs> this episode, yes, shock like. The whole point was to help people with their mental disorders, supposedly. But then people would walk away with increased suicidal ideation and tendencies and, you know, things like that. Um, but still, they saw it as better than the previous forms of induced convulsions. So, like, continue continue to use Right. Sure. Um, so, I'm going to go back to women. More often admitted um, because they were seen as more susceptible to depression, which even today is like a stat, but there's a whole bunch, a whole bunch of stuff involved in that because like, that just means that maybe women are coming forward more Mm -hmm. today, but back in the day it was other people putting depression on them. And given like the cultural context of it, what really defined depression back then? Oh, I'll tell you. I was going to say, like, if you <laughs> cried once, were they, like, off yeah. to the mental asylum? So I'm sure a lot of people have seen this list that I'm about to talk about. Um, and when I found it, I kind of got mixed reports on other of how, like, uh, reliable it is. Because somebody said it was actually, like, a com- it wasn't an official list, but it was, like, a combined list of reasons why people were admitted into this one hospital in Virginia, I think. So, reasons people could be admitted back in these days. Ill treatment by husband. Imaginary female troubles. Wait, ill treatment by... So if the husband treats me bad, you're so hysterical, you have to go to the mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Which leads me to hysteria. When's the last time you heard a man, a man described as hysterical? I'll give you a hysterical man. <laughs> His name is Donald um immoral life which i can only interpret as homosexuality because they would probably deem that an immoral life uh jealousy my personal favorite parents were cousins <laughs> 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 i mean i would probably to be fair <laughs> i'm not no i am not it i'm sorry like yeah i'm, yeah. I'm not getting it <laughs> i'm not it i am not it i do not condone that no Oh god. For some reason this was on the same line. Tobacco and masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> I just drank some lemonade. I love that it. band. Tobacco, Tobacco and masturbation. <laughs> so like You yeah. have to be doing both? i was gonna say what a move. Like <laughs> ultimately don't smoke. I don't smoke. <laughs> <soak. laughs> um fits uh, fits and Desertion of husband. So again, your husband like, leaves you or argues with you. You're you so have to be put into a mental asylum. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, because I mean, you don't have anything in the thirties. So if your husband gets rid of you, where are you going to go? That's true. Now you're a tainted woman. Your are your your dad's not. Gonna I'm meeting Karen dad. and Mildred at the hus- <laughs> insane asylum. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds absolutely terrible, and I don't like calling it insane. Insane <laughs> asylum. Um. Suppressed masturbation and menses. Okay. Wait, mency within like t- your menstrual cycle? Yeah. So you, you know the PMS normal thing that people okay. Yeah. yeah. UPMS mental institution. War effects is the only thing I can see. Like PTSD. like PTSD, yeah. Um which back then was still shell shock, I'm pretty sure. Um sexual arra- arrangement? Is that supposed to be derangement? Probably sexual derangement. Just being like addicted to it, I, I guess. guess. Yeah. Oh, remember, I <laughs> to bring it back to American Horror Story again. But the one girl that was in there, oh, was, yeah, she was she just liked to have sex and it was like ate. flirting with everything that yeah. moved. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck. That, female disease is that just another female? word for your period? Female disease, what does that mean? Or is it like uh, what's it called? Menopause? It has to be because that's the only like female centric. Yeah. Illness of that time it's I can think of. It's not even an illness. It's not an illness. Um so I found this really ridiculous example. There was this woman named Elizabeth Packard who was admitted involuntarily to a mental asylum because her husband her husband was a pastor and she questioned his religious beliefs and he put her in a mental institution. So because she questioned her husband and she questioned God. She was involuntarily admitted. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Yeah. So this quote that I found, I guess, is like a motive. Um, for ECT was to demonstrate that electroshock can make emotionally disturbed people fit for work. Fit for work is such a vague Ambiguous statement To me that's just like Oh we only value you for like Your work productivity yeah. And that's from like the 1940s So about like a decade And after. I mean like It's not like Especially with some of those on that list It's not like Me being on my period Is yeah. going to like Make me a Okay And like I said The list Almost isn't like it. Completely reliable Some people Yeah But I mean Who's questioning it Like does anybody not believe that? Is anyone surprised? So, um, next I'm pretty much just going to go through some famous cases that I found the most interesting. this um, there really Um, It's really short. So, Ernest Hemingway. Oh, my boy. I feel like we just talked about him the other day. We probably did. I just remember he was really focused on in our lit classes. Yeah. So, Ernest Hemingway suffered from depression. And he voluntarily tried ECT to get rid of it because there respectively was some research proving that it could work. Um, But unfortunately for him, it did not. And he ended up committing suicide, I believe, in 1961. One of the last things he said was, what is the sense of ruining my head and erasing my memory, which is my capital, and putting me out of business? It was a brilliant cure, but we lost the patient. That's so sad. That's so sad. Um so naturally, what would torture be without World War Two? Um the first German test of ECT came in nineteen thirty nine with these oh boy. Dingle and Megan Dorder Dorder. Oh, oh Dorder. my. Megan sorry, Megan. Megan Dorder. <laughs> um So, basically, under Hitler and um, Nazi regime, there was this thing called the Expert Committee of Question of Population and Racial Quality. Not equality. Racial quality. Um, And under this committee, there was a law called For the Prevention of hereditary Diseased Offspring, which led to forced sterilization for conditions that ect could supposedly treat so they wanted to use ect to force these undesirable traits out of people so that they weren't inherited down the line so this this is becoming less about treating illnesses and more of like creating like a perfect person in which a way is eugenics yeah and like eugenics is like one of those things where like i know what it is but i couldn't like worded mm-hmm. by myself, so I looked up the definition, and it said improving human population by controlled breeding to increase the inheritance of desirable traits. Forcing some, like, Charles Darwin shit. Uh-huh. Okay. So, Bengal and Megan Dorter were somehow associated with this doctor named Horst Fisher, um, and he was a Nazi doctor in Auschwitz. Oh, well, that like all That's the all I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Nazi and doctor Arse. don't belong in the same and, sense. Um, during this time, it was hard to find people to experiment ECT on because they were in a period of total war, is what I read. So, like they couldn't really find a lot of like willing participants, I guess. So, guess who they used? Good old Nazi prisoners. So this guy used prisoners as at Auschwitz to do more research about UCT. Because they're not human at that point. Yeah. If they're prisoners, apparently. Never mind the fact that... Yeah, kind of like the orphans. All of Nazi Germany Yes! <laughs> Disenfranchised oh. populations have no value. Oh my god. So, I mean... just I just want to take a minute. Almost everything we know today is at the cost of a population of somebody. There, there's every bit of experimentation has been on a disenfranchised group of people. So this one that I'm about to tell you about is the one uh, that I kind of want to do a whole case on because I feel like I could have talked about her forever. So um, this woman's name is Frances Former and the timeline of these events occurred between 1943 and about 1950 um, she was an American actress and TV show host back in, like, the 40s, before all of this went down. So, even though she was, like, an, actric- an actress and a TV show host, she kind of is now infamous for being also involuntarily admitted to mental hospitals, except for her, it happened several times. What did you say her job was? An actress and a TV show host. I just... When you say TV show host, I was thinking of Sarah Paulson's character in American Horror Story. Wasn't she, like, a reporter? I wonder if maybe her character was based off of that. So she started to get into some legal trouble. And this behavior was sort of... No one in her family... Like, she had never done it before, so people in her family were kind of, you know, like, off guard. But, um, she got in trouble for drunken disorderly conduct, assault, like, uh, fighting people, and then um, not paying the subsequent, subsequent fines. Um, and the reason she went to the hospital instead of jail is because she had one of her female family members worked for either the police department or, like, the attorney's office, something like that. Um, I don't remember what exact position they had, but they were able, able to get her out of jail time. Essentially, But in exchange, she had to go to a mental hospital. During this time, her and her family both claimed that she was subjected to ECT without her consent. Yeah, so we had to move rooms because of a mess with reserving rooms and stuff. And our next door neighbors are ridiculously loud. Somehow they fit four guys into one of these tiny rooms. Oh, I was really hoping that they would, like, give up and go to another room. Because there's four of them. There's four of them. There's only two chairs in the room. So, yeah, so her and her family both claimed that she was subjected to ECT without her consent. She was in and out of hospitals several times for pretty much the rest of her life. I don't know so much about her old age, but at least for, like, a decade or so she was in and out of mental hospitals. Later in life, she claimed that not only was she subjected to ECT without her consent, but she was also raped, forced other treatments, and isolated away in, you know, white rooms with straight jackets and stuff. That's sad, but, like, I'm not surprised. And naturally, some people questioned if she was telling the truth, because after all, she was a woman and a mental patient. So some people, like, of course, said that she was lying and confabulating to get attention. And some things never change. 2019, what's the difference? Oh my god. Unlike other, some ECT patients, thank god she didn't kill herself, but she did end up dying of birth cancer in 1970. Another famous actress was Judy Garland. (gasps) Everyone's baby doll. love Judy Garland. Yes. And the funny thing is I've never seen Wizard of Oz. I just read up on her and her terrible experiences in the Hollywood yeah. industry and I have so much yeah. sympathy for her. She's so beautiful. as ridiculous. She is. Um, so she was, um, like Ernest Hemingway, she consented to ECT treatments to try and cure her depression but it didn't really work.
1: I feel like her Hemingway.
0: environment was one of the biggest triggers of her depression. Did, yeah. the, did she like undergo this when she was like a rising... Definitely. Did y'all hear that? Definitely heard a very feminine moan come from the other <laughs> yeah. room. Um, was this like when Ooh, she was still boy. like young and like doing movies? Yeah. Or this? Okay, so yeah, I think it was kind of like in the peak of her, mm-hmm. her career. This one's worse than Ernest, anyways. She said after her ECT treatment, she said, "I couldn't learn anything. I couldn't retain anything. I was just up there making strange noises." here was in the middle of a million dollar property with a million eyes on me and I was in a complete daze because she was probably medicated and ECT makes you lose your memory. Like, and I guess this is a personal opinion, but like, it is not worth it to me to not feel anything just to not have my depression. Yeah. Like, you don't want to just be numb. I don't want to be, like, I'm already like, my depression already makes me kind of like in a daze and like apathetic and yeah. like not about everything. I don't want to take like a medicine to make me worse. Like I'm no, not gonna, like. But I mean, this was nineteen fucking whatever. Um, and tragically, she died from a barbiturate overdose. 1969 at the age of 47. She was so young. 47. I didn't think it was possible for me to like garner any more sympathy, but hearing that, I just I love her. That's my mom. My mom is 47. No, she's 48 now. But like, I hate that. Oh my god. It's just like those two women, like Judy Garland and Frances Farmer, were just put through. I'm not. I'm not welling up. I just really have to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really didn't think you were gonna start crying. I was like, "It's <laughs> episode one." Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was really depressing. Uh huh. Man. <laughs> um. So we're gonna go back to a war story. Um. So the Algerian War happened between 1954 and 1962, and Algeria is a country in North Africa. Mm-hmm. Um. And. The good old French invaded and imperialized history, mm-hmm. you know? Love it. Have you ever seen Battle of the Years? Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's in black and white and it's like super old, but it's such there's three like female characters that are in it that are mm-hmm. amazing. Anyway, so I couldn't, I couldn't find a lot of on this specifically related to ECT, but prisoners of war so french taking algerian prisoners torture from the french onto the algerian prisoners included stripping beating hanging from feet or hands water torture like waterboarding i'm assuming and ding 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 ect um and this was you know a couple decades out from like when it was first originally brought up, but I imagine there wasn't much, you know, improvement by then. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, medical research, 20 years isn't very long. Um, so yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't really find a lot more on that pertaining to ECT, and I didn't want to flood my segment with, like, other sad stuff that didn't have to do with when, Once you start researching, you, like, dive into a rabbit yeah. hole. Because yeah. I was like, I don't know where to stop. Because there's so many things highlighted on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and you just, like, keep, like, clicking. And I clicking. feel like there's certain things you have to, like... To explain. Yeah, what? to get the whole picture. Right. Um, so, another example was an American musician um, named Lou Reed. He was, I believe, he was the lead singer of a band called the Velvet Underground. Now, I don't know that band, but I dig the name. I've heard of them. Yeah, like I've never, like I've never heard a song. I also either. feel like I have a, a band name on our list that's similar uh-huh. to that. <laughs> huh. I would, I don't know what it is. I can look it yeah, up. maybe later. that's why it sounded so familiar when I was researching it. Um, so Lou Reed started getting ECT as young as seventeen. For his mental illnesses, and some believe that his bisexuality also played a role. Um, But it should be noted that Lou himself said that his parents weren't homophobic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the people in the mental hospital were not homophobic. Yeah. (laughs) So if they knew that he was bisexual... They would add that to his list of... There's a chance. Diseases. Yeah, because that that was one of the... um, I don't think I have it in here, but... It wasn't until 1973, I want to say, that homosexuality was um, taken off the list of reasons you could be admitted to a mental hospital. Or, like, deemed, like, um, mentally ill. Yeah. Which was oh, fucking yeah, 40 years ago. Depression. Uh, but, you know, some states. Who knows? Um, and he claimed that it. Was not anesthetic. So if you remember, like, in the beginning where Lou, or not Lou, <laughs> Hugo, Sir Compared the pig, be- I yeah. told you. I knew it. I was like, yeah. it does not feel like anesthetic. He was like, it wasn't anesthetic. And um, he claimed that because of all the maltreatment that he encountered in the mental hospital and, you know, discrimination that he faced because of his bisexuality, not from his parents, from him um contributed to his disestablishment sentiments and influence to his music because I believe his band is like a hard rock. At least he had that outlet right. which is good. And uh, from the looks of it they were pretty successful. Yeah. With classic rock. They sound band. like one of those bands I don't care about, but yeah. everyone else likes them right. like the Beatles. You don't like the Velvet Your eyebrows just like knitted together. <laughs> Some, like, fucking guy whose favorite movie is Spike Club is like, Name five of their songs. (laughs) God. Okay. So I told you I was going to end it on a lighter note. And I'm going to talk about the myth, the legend, Carrie Fisher. Oh my god. Rest in peace, queen. Now I just want to say, and we're going to lose listeners after I say this, I have never seen Star Wars. Oh no, we can lose them twice because I'm gonna say I don't know anything about Star Wars. I could give a shit. I um, watched The Last Jedi with my friends, and that's what like. I want to watch the one with John Boyega in them. because yeah, he's I in that love one. Them. I heard that like the one with Gambino, the one in the middle, like the one between The Last Jedi and the one that's about to come there's out. There's gonna be people listening to this like wanting to scream like, the up. titles. <laughs> The Force? No, I was about to say The Force Awakens. That's not in it my. It I might, think that's one it? of them. That's one of them for sure. I didn't just like yeah, kick that out of my ass. But, <laughs> um, that one like flops, I think. But the one that's about to come out, I really want to see. But like, Christina, who's like our best friend, like she she knows every little thing. Like that's one of her like that's just one of her things. We'll so bring her like, on here to talk about Star Wars. Christ, I'd rather die. <laughs> Anyway But I love Carrie and Drew because she's me and like forty years. Um she has been a big advocate against like the stigma behind mental illness and um, being medicated there's a hand. <laughs> oh my god. That's absolutely terrifying um, Anyway. She fought against the stigma of mental illness. And, um, And, uh, being medicated. And she actually, um, used ECT voluntarily and was a big proponent of it and said that it actually helped her. Um, and she was really vocal about her depression, her bipolar disorder, and, um, she has a dog that looks just like, mine, and his name is Gary. And I hope he's doing Oh my god. I'm, oh my not happy. Not I'm not done. Um, so my last little bit here. Um, so I wanna say obviously, but it may not be. Um, it's a lot more researched and regulated now. Um there's you know, I I'm sure like the, the the shocks aren't like as powerful or like Um, There's a lot of laws now about informed consent, and, like, you can't give it to people without their consent. Um, However, in the U.S., um, it still can be administered involuntarily, but only under very specific cases. Um, So, like, you have to go through, like, the judicial system, like, a case to be able to give somebody um, ECT without their consent. And it's only in cases where they have suicidal intentions Mm -hmm. and other... Um, treatments haven't been effective. Um, so it's than, like a last resort kind of right, thing. Right. Other than that, you have to be a voluntary. Just... No, no, no. <gasps> okay, I'm done. Woo! Oh my god. Guys, guys, I was holding my breath the whole time. Never... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was doing because I blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I got through it though. I keep, this is like so dumb, but I was thinking about Gary. And like the path, so I have a dog, I have three dogs, but my like personal dog, the one that's mine, not my family's. His name is Willie. And I keep having dreams where he like escapes the yard or like dies or something. Good thing we're probably going to talk about dream interpretations at some point. We are. If you don't think there's any meaning to your dreams, stop. Shut up, because yeah, I, as someone who has had avidly vivid dreams for most of her life, like, I still remember certain dreams I had when I was three years old. I don't know. I just, I hold them to, like, really high standards. Yeah. I put a lot of merit yeah. into no, them. I know. And I stand by it. That was just a PSA. <laughs> <laughs> this is a anti-Freud zone. I don't fuck with him. I don't like him. Misogynistic and he assaulted women. Mm-hmm. However, I believe in like the, the ego, yeah. the superego and the subconscious, and it's the same discussion of separating the art from the artist. Yes. He had some. I think that is the episode we should have Tovar in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she's probably going to be on a couple, but I think she should definitely be on um, the dream interpretation one because um, we all kind of like share the same view on Freud and dream interpretation. <gasps> and we can all share a dream? Wow. What? Oh my god. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That <laughs> should be like our first one. Because, like, I think I was telling you about it, but like, I, oh my god. Just like childhood dreams, like you said. And as long as you also share the dream with your mom. My favorite god. dream. <laughs> this is me, <what> i just <laughs> like thinking about ever. it. Sorry, I totally distracted from what you were saying. But well, if you want to hear about that, if oh sure. you uh, keep listening uh, once a month for now. Um, eventually it might be twice a month, but just for now, because we both still have full-time jobs. Um, we're going to be doing a, what we call a very special episode where we'll have a guest and we'll sort of deviate from the theme of the season. Um. We want to try to find a subject that the guests themselves would feel comfortable talking about, and we can have, like, a three-way discussion, which should be super fun. And we think it might be nice just because some of the stuff we talk about is pretty dark, and it might, you know, kind of lighten the mood every once in a while to have, um, you know, but... I am like I heard, like, a chicken. (laughs) Like, what? Okay. Um, so... This first season, um, we're gonna start off slow. Like we said, it's gonna be called Cognitive Calamities, and we're gonna have ten seasons. That's ten, ten episodes. <laughs> ten episodes, two uh, cases each. Yeah, we'll do the same pattern of one of us gives their story, other person gives their story. So you'll get two little subjects each episode. I we'll, um We're not, and it's not gonna be like a themed episode. Like we said, it's just gonna be the season. So like will be a nice healthy mix to keep you interested. Um and then also the very special episode once a month. So uh this first season, including the very special episodes, will probably be twelve to thirteen episodes in total after. Um probably be done by like the end of summer. Yeah, I think so. Like August or so. And we'll probably take like about a two three to three two to four week break in between each season. Mm-hmm. Just, just to... Right. Get ourselves back in order and make sure our lives aren't too chaotic. Hopefully by August, yeah. we will be thriving. Yeah. yeah. Dude, come on, guys. We're so poor. <laughs> I mean, we're so poor. Honestly? I mean, yeah. I want to be, like, successful in that yeah. sense, too. But I also, like, want people to, like, comment and say things like, oh. I didn't know that before. Yeah. Like, learn something from me? I yeah. never thought I could be a teacher. This project for us is, like, it's so good for the both of us because, like, like I said, I have a psych degree and Taylor has a graphic design degree. And neither one of us because the job, job market is so fucking up and small. We're, like, not struggling per se. Like, we both are employed. But it's finding something in your field that you want to do that caters to, like, your strengths. An actual career. Exactly. Yeah. Neither one of us are doing anything that we actually like to do. And it's soul-sucking. and It's really discouraging. But this is something we both like to do. Like, Taylor's an artist. And now she gets to direct an entire brand. And, you know, I like psychology. And now I get to talk about it, like, with my best friend. And, like, and I also before I was a psych major, I was an EM major. So like I kind of know how to use like the <laughs> editing software and like I get to like use my creativity for marketing and things like that. So we're really excited and we hope oh, this picks up. Yeah. Please leave us feedback if you would be so kind, whether it's to say that you just like listening to us. I'm sure most of our First viewers are going to be people that, like, we already know, our friends and stuff. (laughs) Um, Questions, concerns. Just keep in mind with the concerns. This is our first episode. The editing might be a little squatchy. Our room is not the most ideal. We will get better, I promise, because we are both perfectionists. Yeah. Like, Like, I can already see us obsessing over this audio going forward. Like, keeping ourselves up at night. Perfectionist, and i have yeah i'm still that website i'm still trying yeah. to figure it out um i guess just to finish it off that reminds me um we have a website it's majordinsight.com um from there you can find all of our social media uh we're on facebook and twitter at majordinsight our instagram is majordinsight podcast um we also have a patreon at majordinsight obviously we don't really have any content up there yet So it's not really active. We don't have any content for tiers and stuff. It's more of like our goal going forward to build off of that, to give you guys content that will make us worthy of being donated to. So um, originally, uh, with this first episode, I think we're going to be on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. I'm hoping I can figure out a way um, with my hosting site that we can... Get out some more platforms, but hopefully that's enough right now. Um, if you are using iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe. That will help us a lot and help us get noticed. So we would really appreciate that. Gracias. Muchas gracias. Ooh. I tried. I speak a little Spanish. We both took eight years of Spanish. And yet I (laughs) feel like I have the most American accent. I'll work Great. yes. okay that was not me <laughs> i just wanted to put a disclaimer there. we hope you enjoyed today's episode music by ryan little at i am ryan little on twitter art design by taylor davis and sound mixing by taylor fisher thank you for listening to Major and say see you later